If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Psalm 139? We're going to finish this psalm today. We have looked at this psalm a few Sundays, and now today we look at the last six verses. I had said that this is a short study in theology in the Psalm 139. Um, we learn a lot about God here in this psalm. And so we've asked four questions as we've looked at this psalm. We considered the last question today, but the first question was, how well does God know me? We looked at verses 1 through 6, and we discovered that God knows each of us thoroughly and completely. There is nothing you can hide that God does not know about. In fact, secret sin on earth is open scandal in heaven. It says in verse 4 of Psalm 139, Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, thou dost know it at all. The fact that we are constantly under God's gaze can be unsettling for the believer, yet deeply reassuring. Unsettling because we still sin and we need God's forgiveness each day. But it's also reassuring for the believer because being in Christ by faith, no circumstance can remove us from his love. The second question we considered was, how close is God to me? We looked at verses 7 through 12. We discovered that in those verses that the God who knows us is always near us. God is no distant, preoccupied deity. Look at verses 7 and 8. David says, Where can I go from thy spirit, or where can I flee from thy presence? If I ascend to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, thou art there. He is never absent. Hebrews 4.13, There is not a creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So God is not only omniscient, he's all-knowing, but he's everywhere present. He is always near, and best of all, he cares for each one of us. Last Sunday we looked at verses 13 through 18, and the third question was, How carefully has God made me? How carefully has God made me? And in those verses, they tell us that God knew knew every one of us before the foundations of the world. All of our days are laid out by God when as yet there was not one of them. And the life forming in the womb of the mother, it is all of God's work from the moment of conception to birth. It says here in verse 13, For thou didst form my inward parts. God did it. We're not a product of chance. We are a creation of God. And we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And that brings us then to the fourth and final question. I have an outline in your bulletin if you want to take notes. But um, the last question is, how much will God protect me? How much will God help me? And so let's consider these verses. I'm going to read them, verses 19 through 22, first of all. David writes here, he says, Oh, that thou wouldst slay slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed. For For they speak against thee wickedly, 
and thy enemies take up thy name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate thee, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against thee? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. Not to tell you that some of these verses I find difficult (laughs) to grasp. You see, many people today are bothered by the problem of evil. They will say, if God is a loving and good God, why does he allow evil in our world? Well, David did not ignore this problem, nor did he give into it. David took his stand with God, because only the one true God can permit evil and yet be able to overrule it to accomplish his divine purposes. And notice here in our text today, in verse 19, David makes one request. He says to God, Slay the wicked, O God. My verse says, Oh, that thou wouldst slay the wicked, O God. As a believer, if you are a believer here today, have you ever asked this of God about a certain person who is so evil? Be honest. I have. I remember many years ago when 9-11 happened, and I remember where I was when those towers went down. And the person that they were searching for, Osama bin Laden, that was one time that I said, Lord, can't you just take this person out of the picture? Can't you just remove him from this world? Our, our world would be better off without a man like that. Lord, just take them out. Certainly God could do that, couldn't he? God holds the keys to life and death, and God certainly could do that. When you read through the Old Testament, there are times when God raises up kings and he also removes them. But as a Christian, I've sometimes said the words of, of David. Slay the wicked, O God. I wonder if anybody in the early church, and you read through the book of Acts, I wonder if there's any Christians in that early church that prayed to God about Saul. Saul, who was a great persecutor of the church. Saul, who was dragging Christians back to Jerusalem for the very purpose to be put to death. I wonder if there were any Christians in those days that said, Oh God, would you just slay Saul? Would you just remove him and take him out of the picture? We would be better off as a church. And God could have done that. But instead, God saved Paul, or Saul, who later became the great apostle Paul, who began to be used by God to lead others to the Lord and to establish churches. You see, God's grace triumphed over evil. Now, there are two characteristics that identify God's enemies in verse 20. When, when David talks about, Oh, slay the wicked, O God, he identifies, gives two characteristics. The first one is, They speak against God wickedly. They are irreverent people. 
They speak against God wickedly. You know people like that, that speak against God wickedly. The second thing Paul notes, or David notes here, is they take God's name in vain. They take God's name in vain. They use profanity. You've been around people, haven't you, where they are using profanity? That they are constantly taking God's name in vain? You see, wicked people reveal their wickedness oftentimes through their tongue. Irreverence and profanity are the trademarks of a deep spiritual problem of the heart. The tongue that speaks profanity comes from a heart that is not right with God. If I had the time, I could tell you about one of my uncles who had such a profane tongue. In fact, him and his wife were sponsors for me at my baptism. I asked my mom later, some years later, like, why did you pick them? You know, back then you just, well, you picked family members, but they did not know the Lord, and my uncle had such a profane tongue, he didn't know the Lord. As David confronted the problem of evil in his day, we see he did five things. The first thing we note here in verse 22 is he evaluated He says, I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. You see, these enemies of God are unashamed. They are hateful. They're open and blatant despisers of God and God's people. Remember, Jesus said to the disciples, if the world hates you, be sure of this, that they hated me, first of all. And so when the world hates you as a Christian, They've hated Jesus, first of all. They are despisers of God and hate God's people also. And to associate with them would, I believe, to pollute the testimony of any saint. In his zeal for righteousness, David asked God's help in protecting him from those who stood against the very things that he held dear. He loved God. He loved the things of God. He loved righteousness. And so he is asking God to protect him from those who stood against the things that he held dear. I want to ask you, how close are you to those who defy God? How close are you to those who deny the name of your Savior? How deep a friendship Have you nurtured with people who are out-and-out enemies of God, enemies of righteousness? Is that the friendships that you are nurturing? So David evaluated. Secondly, David separated himself. Look at the last part of verse 19. Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed. Depart from me. Men of bloodshed. You see, David saw it necessary to separate himself from evil. And I'm not here today to encourage isolation as a Christian. I don't believe that. We are not to isolate ourselves from the unsaved, from wicked people, from people who are lost. 
But I am saying that a close companionship with haters of God will, I believe, take a damaging toll on your spiritual life. That's why I believe that the most, most of the times we spend with others, it really should be with believers. I believe that we should gather every opportunity we have to gather with other believers to encourage one another. The writer to Hebrews says that um, we are to seek to stir up one another to love and good deeds. We need to do that. And then it says, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We need to encourage one another as believers. We need to stir up one another to love and good deeds And while we are called by God, by Jesus, to be the salt of the world, the salt of this earth, remember Jesus says, be be careful so that your salt does not become saltless. We are to be salt of the earth. We are to be the light of the world. We need to have contact with unbelievers without contamination. Thirdly, David grieved. David grieved in verse 21, the last part of it. It says, And do I not loathe those who rise up against thee? The King James puts it this way, Am I not grieved with those that rise up against thee? Talking about talking to God. Am I not grieved with those that rise up against God? You know, God the Father grieves. In Genesis 6-6, when he saw all that was happening in this world as a result of the fall of man, I just want to go back to that verse, chapter 6. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. I wonder sometimes when I read that, you know, Jesus says before he comes again, it will be like in the days of Noah. And I look around and wonder, I wonder if God is grieved again. He's got to be grieved in his heart by what he sees, that people seem to be doing whatever they want. Irreverence. God, haters of God. Jesus grieves. It says in Mark 3 5 that he grieves at the hardness of man's heart. In Ephesians 4 30, the Holy Spirit grieves over sin. So we have all three persons of the Trinity, they all grieve over sin. The believer ought to grieve over sin. When was the last time you wept over sin? When you see the sin that's going on in our country and in our, in our state of Minnesota, does it cause you grief in your heart? Does it cause you to weep? The fourth thing we see here, David hated. 
verses 21 and 22. Let me read those two verses again. David says, Do I not hate those who hate thee, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against thee? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. Now, I, I don't fully understand all that David means here. And the reason why I say that is because the Bible tells us to hate evil, love what is good. Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount to love your enemies, pray for them who mistreat you. And here David says, I hate them with the utmost hatred. Those who hate you, O God, I hate them with the utmost hatred. They become my enemies. I have to admit that it's difficult to love the rebellious sinner and still hate their sin. You find that difficult? I find it difficult sometimes to separate. Because I'll say it to myself, Lord, I know that you are, we are called to love the sinner but to hate the sin. But sometimes I find myself hating the person too. And I know I shouldn't hate the person. The person whom Jesus died for wants to redeem. But I find myself having difficulty doing that at times. But I want to tell you, as a church, and I'm talking about believers in Christ, I truly believe we could use more holy anger against sin. I believe we could use more holy hatred against sin today. Rather than just turning our ears away or turning our eyes away and say, well, it is what it is. What can I do about it? And we began to accept it. We could use more holy anger, righteous anger, righteous hatred in our day when blatant sin is being practiced all around us shoved down our throats, and it becomes a popular form of entertainment. You see, friend, love and hatred are not contradictory when dealing with sin. Jesus showed both love to the sinner while hating the sin. I always love to remember when Jesus hung on the cross, what did he say? He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I I think there's a lot of people today that don't know what they're doing. I, I believe there were many people in Christ's day when he was being hung on the cross, they just joined the crowd and they shouted along with the rest, crucify him, and they didn't even know what they were doing. And that here was one, a perfect son of God, who was dying for that very sinner to pay the price for their sin. Theirs and yours and mine. And then fifthly, David trusted in the first part of verse 19. Notice he does say, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. 
He trusted God to protect him by slaying his enemies. David didn't take matters into his own hands, but he was simply praying to God, Oh God, slay the wicked. Slay those who are coming against me. David did not take matters into his own hands. When Saul, remember King Saul, sought David's life after David had been anointed by God to be the next king after Saul. And there was a point where Saul, King Saul, disobeyed God. And as a result of that, the Bible says the Spirit of God left King Saul and an evil spirit came upon him. And from that moment on, he began to look with an evil eye towards David. He sought to kill David. And yet, David had on two occasions an opportunity to kill King Saul, who had been rejected by God. Now, I'd like us to turn over, if you have your Bibles, over to 1 Samuel chapter 26. I'm going to read a few verses here, starting at verse 7. 1 Samuel chapter 26. So David and Abishai came to the people by night. And behold, Saul lay sleeping inside the circle of the camp with his spear stuck in the ground at his head and Abner and the people were lying around King Saul. Then Abishai said to David, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now therefore, please let me strike him with a spear to the ground with one stroke. And I will not strike him the second time. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him. For who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be without guilt? And David also said, As the Lord lives, surely the Lord will strike him, or his day will come that he dies, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed, But now please take the spear that is at his head and the jug of water and let us go. You see, David left the matter in God's hands. Romans 12, 9, or verse 19, Paul writes, Never take your own revenge, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And then finally we come to the final two verses, verses 23 and 24. It really is a prayer. And someone has said that it is one of the most penetrating prayers found in the Bible. So let me read those two verses. Search me, O God, and know my heart. I wonder, that was a great prayer as he starts, because remember David has already said, Oh God, slay the wicked. I hate these ones that hate you, God. I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. Was his attitude right? Then he says this closing prayer, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way or wicked way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. You see, David wants God to do a thorough examination of his life deep inside. David asks four things. 
The first thing he says, Lord, search me. Search me. In verse 23. Now David already stated in this psalm the truth of God's omniscience. Isn't it interesting that this psalm begins with the fact that God searches? And now he ends with this very thought as well. David has already stated that God knows everything. Verse 1, you, O Lord, have searched me and you've known me. It's a done deal. But David is saying here, Lord, I know you know me from the top to the bottom, inside and out. But I don't know my own heart. Sometimes, friend, isn't it true that sometimes people can see things in you that are sinful that you don't see yourself? And so David is asking God to search him. Search his heart. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I tell you, friend, only God can know it. Only God can know your heart. And therefore, this is a wonderful prayer of search me, O Lord, and know my heart. The Hebrew word here for search means to explore, to dig, to probe. David is inviting God's searchlight to probe the inner recesses of his heart. Lord, I want you to do that. Would you be willing to pray that? And then secondly, he says, try me. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. This word try literally means to test metal in a furnace. David is asking the Lord to, to put him to the test so as to discover any anxious thoughts. I'm sure every one of us here today has had anxious thoughts. There have been times you've been worried about things. And the Bible tells us we shouldn't be anxious. We should not be worried. We need to trust in the Lord. And so David here says, try me and know my anxious thoughts. Let God put you through the furnace if he needs to. If he needs to remove the dross of the impurities from your life, are my thoughts sinful? Do my thoughts carry me away from fellowship with God? Do my thoughts grieve God? Lord, I want you to reveal that to me. And then the third thing is reveal to me. Now my Bible says, see if there be any hurtful way in me. David is saying, Lord, I want you to search me and try me. Then I want you to reveal it to me. That sometimes is painful. When God reveals things in our life that need to be removed, that need to change, Lord, reveal it to me. See if there be any hurtful or wicked way in me. And it's not that God might know the results, but that David himself might know what God has discovered. I mean, let's face it, when you go to the doctor and you realize that there's something wrong or you feel a lump or something that shouldn't be there and you go to the doctor and and, and you... You submit yourself to the scalpel of the surgeon for an exploratory surgery. 
And, and you do it not just for the sake of the surgeon, you do it for your sake. You want to know if there's something wrong. And you want to know the findings. And if it's a cancerous tumor, you want it removed. You want to ask the doctor, can you remove it? Because your life depends on it. You see, dear friend, when God reveals to you your sin through his word, and it's a work of the Holy Spirit, when he does that, it is urgent. If he reveals sin in your life, whether it be thoughts or words or deeds, when he reveals that to you, it is urgent to let the great physician to cut and remove the sin and to cleanse you lest that malignant growth of sin gets a firm root in your heart. And then finally David says, lead me. <clears throat> lead me in the everlasting way. You see, only when sin is forgiven can we be led in the everlasting way. I love David when he wrote another psalm we call the psalm of penitence, a psalm of repentance, Psalm 51. In fact, it was part of our confession of sin today. When David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from thy presence, and do not take thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation, and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners will be converted to thee. You see, only when sin is forgiven can we be led in the everlasting way. Only when we've experienced God's forgiveness can we then teach transgressors, others who have sinned, can we teach transgressors God's way, and they can be converted to God. I want to ask you today, dear friend, as we close, are you willing to pray this most penetrating prayer? Would you be willing to pray this every day? Verses 23 and 24. <clears throat> as we close today, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. And I'm going to pray this prayer. This is my closing prayer, these last two verses. So as I pray them, would you be willing to pray them silently to God? Would you do that? Let's pray together. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. Lord, would you do that? Lord Jesus, I want to be clean before you. I want to have right thoughts. I want to have right attitudes. Lord, I want to be used to reach those who are lost. Lord, help me to hate the sin but love the sinner. Holy Spirit, work in the lives of every believer here today. Fill us with your Spirit. Empower us, Lord, to live a life that's pleasing to you. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.